Welcome to the Imperfect Church Podcast, a podcast for the imperfect church and the imperfect pastors that lead them. I'm Ryan Reed. And I'm John Martin. And this is the Imperfect Church Podcast. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Two in a row. Uh, We're ready. Well, depending on, actually, this one will be before the one we just recorded, right? Yeah, that's right. This will be the first one. This will be the first one. And it will be our belated Reformation Day podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny. First Do we actually know that it was actually on October the thirty first, or is that just the date yeah, uh-huh. given? It, it was. Yeah, we actually was. Yeah, October thirty first, fifteen seventeen. And we want to thank Thomas for uh, encouraging us. Yeah, he did for real. Yep. He uh, Ryan said Thomas is disappointed. So. Yep, that's right. I texted John. I said Thomas is disappointed. We need to get on it. Yep. And so we are here. We and in fact, I'm 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 messaging him right now, recording it <laughs> now. So that'll be good. As he's oh, listening gosh. to it, he'll know I sent that while recording. Is he Finnish? I, I don't know. Thomas, are you from Finland? Because we've recently <laughs> discovered. Now look, this is why. Look, we we recorded backwards now. So the episode we mentioned our Finnish listeners is not until last one. No, also, I thought we already did that previously. Was that maybe that well, was just between? I think we just I. we tweeted it out. Um, no, okay. Uh, you know, I try to look up some Finnish phrases, um, but I'm going to have to wait on that. I don't want to insult the culture, you know? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. That's, <clears throat> that's good. All right, so today, John, we're talking... No, what? we're not. Today, you are going to talk Luther on vocation. I'm about to learn you, John. Yes, you are, because I have no idea what this is even all about, but we're yeah. fixing to discover it. Me so, and the listeners are going to discover it together. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's good. Uh, kind of, be, we want to kind of begin with that phrase or that word, particularly vocation. Uh, so, John, when we say vocation today, what do you think about? Did you hear me, John? You took your headphones <laughs> off. I took my headphones. You can't off. take your headphones off when I ask you questions. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I was saying, John, when you hear the word vocation, what yeah. do you think about? I think of job. Occupation. Yeah. That's occupation. what I think when I hear the word vocation. Right. And we, we often use those synonymously, right? Yep. And so I think where the Christian doctrine of vocation comes from is it's rooting that word in its syntax and its in its etymology. Like that word mm-hmm. vocation literally means calling, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So when we think about Christian doctrine of vocation, it is seeing vocation not as just synonymous with occupation but vocation mm-hmm. as a calling from god well i think so, we 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 understand that as well i mean we would say like my wife is an educator and right. she believes um and i think rightly so that that is her calling right, right. it's mm-hmm. not it's not just the job that she that she decided to take right it's what she right. felt that lord the lord is calling her into mm-hmm. and yeah. just as god has gifted us, we believe, in the mm-hmm. area of ministry, yes. mm-hmm. uh, that uh, he has gifted her as well in the ministry that uh, that he's called her into. So I think we we understand it that way. Maybe not initially, but right. I think if we really were to think about it and begin to think critically about vocation, we would consider it that way as well. Right, and that's because we are uh, Protestants here in the 21st century, 504 episodes, or episodes, 504 <laughs> years after Luther mm-hmm. nails his 95 thesis to the door, church door at Wittenberg. Yeah. So let's kind of, let's how many, go back. How many, uh, how many bad jokes, 95 racists, did you see? Uh, well, I think Ed Stitzer does it every year, um, <laughs> yeah. but I saw several. Yeah, I'm like, um, that's old. Come on, let's move on. Which, you know, to be honest with you, if someone gave me 95 Reese's, yeah, I yeah, would yeah. be all for it. 
Yeah, me that's, too. That's some good candy right there. No doubt. Um, I've probably eaten 95 of my kids um, <laughs> that they brought home from, for uh, for trick-or-treating. But, yeah. um, but let's go back 504 years ago and look at um, really the idea of vocation within late medieval uh, theology. Okay. So um, you go back into uh, monasticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that there is a there is a, a a separation in 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 Christian theology between the uh, contemplative life, the contemplative life, mm-hmm. and the active life. So you have this uh, contemplative and active shift, uh, where um, the life of the mind or the life of uh, uh, the passive life, if you will, it is viewed as the better portion. Yeah. Uh, so you 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 think about the story of Mary and Martha, uh, where Mary has chosen the better portion, the better half. Mm-hmm. Um, well, th- there became this this uh, split between the two that uh, there was the passive life of studying the scriptures, of praying, and this was uh, this was uh, the highest that you could be. It was right up there with mm-hmm. martyrdom, um, being uh, being in being cloistered in the in the in the monastery. So. If you go back uh, a little over 500 years ago, you have a young man named Martin Luther who is studying to be a lawyer. Hmm. In fact, uh, Luther's father and, and many before him had worked very hard for their family to afford to send Martin Luther off to school for upward mobility. That doesn't happen like it does today. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we live in a society where it doesn't matter who your father and mother were. You can you can ultimately be something different. But in those days, upward mobility didn't exist. And so Luther's uh, family has worked very hard to send him to school. He's going to study law. And on the way home uh, from the University of Effort, um, he, is, he, is, he stumbles upon a lightning storm, right? Hmm. And lightning strikes very near him and knocks him off of his horse. And he cries out, save me, St. Anne, I will become a monk. Mm-hmm. St. Anne is... Saint is St. Anne like the saint of lightning? Uh, no, St. Anne is actually the, uh, the saint of... Uh, of, uh, of um, I'm going blank. Uh, miners, miners. So his okay. father worked. Uh, uh, that was probably his his father's occupation, and so mm-hmm. he cries out to Saint Anne, and he says, "I will become a monk." Well, sure enough, he is saved, and uh, he goes and presents himself against his father's wishes because once again, his mm-hmm. father has worked very hard to send him right, to school. Yeah. He goes and he presents I mean, he's himself. Just a lightning bolt. Yeah, just a lightning bolt, Luther. Come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, that ain't worth risking your life in the ministry. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and so he goes and he presents himself to a monastic order, but not just any monastic order, but an um, Augustinian uh, mm-hmm. monastic order, a particularly rough one, the Black Augustinians. Hmm. And uh, he comes into this monastic order and he begins the process of becoming a monk. Well, technically he's a friar, um, which has a little bit more of a, of a teaching application for it, but uh, he goes into this monastic order and uh, Martin Luther works very hard to be a monk. In fact, he says that that anyone in history could have been saved from monkery. It would have been him. (laughs) And yet the works of Luther and the works of being a monk, um, do not bring him eternal salvation. Do not bring him Mm -hmm. rest. Mm -hmm. In fact, he gets so, uh, almost, uh, I mean, he gets so, um, ticky about it that he begins to bug the other monks. Hmm. The other monks don't want to see him coming because they know Martin Luther is is just, yeah, Look, just don't worry about it. Just, just, don't, just pray. Do what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm, and Luther mm-hmm. saying, 
no, this isn't working. And so eventually they say, uh, his, 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 uh, leaders say, well, maybe if you go to Rome, that'll help. Mm. So he goes to Rome and, uh, in Rome, he sees probably the worst thing that he can see. He sees corrupt bishops. He sees priests that are morally Mm. bankrupt. Uh, he sees the buying and selling of indulgences, all these things. And there's particular steps that have been brought to Rome that were in Jerusalem that Jesus himself was said to walk up. And so it became a pilgrim's um, activity to go up these steps and pray at each one. Um, So Luther does this and he stops at each step and he prays and he comes all the way down and he says, (laughs) it didn't work. Who knows whether it's true, (laughs) right? Yeah. yeah. Who knows whether I'm saved? Yeah. He has Mm. no assurance. Mm. So he comes back and um, his, uh, his main leader during this time is a, is a man named Johann Stoppitz. Um, and Stoppitz basically sends him to be a pastor, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Get him out of this monastery, send him <clears throat> to be a pastor. Um, and so Luther goes, uh, he, try, he tries monastic life, and it does not bring mm-hmm. relief. And the reason for this is because um, Luther determines that it's not through works that yeah. you and I are saved. So that that leads um, that leads him to then in turn attack uh, the monastic order. So mm-hmm. as he comes to this reformational theology, uh, the freedom of a Christian, you know, his statement is his famous statement is the Christian is an utterly free man, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian mm-hmm. is an utterly dutiful man, servant of all, subject to all. Mm-hmm. And this seems like a contradiction. But what Luther shows is that the Christian is utterly free because his sins have been paid for. Right. His works do not contribute to salvation. Uh, it is free because the works are not are not meritous. They don't earn mm-hmm. salvation. And so um, there's nothing that we are bound to as a Christian. We're not trying to earn our salvation. Um, but that does not mean that works are useless, useless right? Yeah. Because if if we can just do whatever we want to because Christ has paid for our salvation, then what are we, you know, there's a, there's a fear that that's going to lead to anarchy. And Luther says, no, a good tree produces good fruit. Mm-hmm. And so a Christian then is dutiful servant of all. Uh, in other words, we uh, are brought up to Christ in heaven through his work on our behalf and our works then go down, descend to our neighbor. Yeah. So yeah. Um, a guy that wrote on this, Gustav Vinberg, on his book, Luther on Vocation, he, uh, he summarizes the idea this way. God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. Yeah. yeah. So Luther kind of turns that idea against the monastic orders on a book that he calls Judgment Against Monastic Orders. Pretty good title. Uh, pretty, yeah. Um, creative. Creative, right. And he really does two things in that book that are, uh, I think, important for us today. The first one that he does is he seeks to remove the secular and religious divide. So he he looks at this, this uh, monastic system that elevates the spiritual over the physical. Mm-hmm. In those days, if you use the word vocation, you were talking about bishops or priests, religious vocations. And they were the most important ones. So in the sense of, John, you and Faith, your job is clearly more important than hers because your job is a holy job and her job is just vulgar. It is common. Mm-hmm. So Luther says, no, that's that's not the case. Uh, 
In fact, he says there's no difference between the monk or the one who works in the mudsty. Uh, mm-hmm. These two, uh, both, if they are done properly, glorify God because it's about faith, not about the works done. Yeah. Then, so let me stop you right there. Yeah. Can I stop you right there? Yeah, go ahead. So um, d- don't you believe that, especially in the South, maybe maybe not outside of the South, but in the Bible Belt, I would say that that is still a common mindset. Yeah, I think so. That I think somehow the occupation of the minister is somehow elevated above the common man. Yeah, and I think there's a way that uh, we ministers perpetuate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I would not disagree. And, yeah. and there's a way that our culture perpetuates it. Um, but yes, I think that that secular religious divide exists in the sense of we we, we sometimes elevate the pastoral ministry to say this is mm-hmm. more important than what I do. I'm yeah. just a school janitor. Right. <laughs> my, my job is not as important as the pastor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like um, sometimes we can do that with our own life, right? We can split our own life into a secular religious divide mm-hmm. where we say the important work I do is on Sundays and Wednesdays yeah, when I come to yeah. church. Yeah. Neither of which are helpful. And that's the idea that, that Luther is attacking. Mm-hmm. And, and the you know, thing, and you think about it, the, the disciples... Yeah, this is a crazy American mindset. You know, that somehow there is a separation between being a disciple and being a parent, being right. a mm-hmm. disciple and being a coach, being a right. disciple and being a minister. Even yeah. mm-hmm. somehow, and I, it may just be an American thing that somehow right. there's a divide even between who we are. So, like mm-hmm. people, people say, you know, like you know, who are you? You shouldn't get tied up in what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear that a lot, and I and I I can agree with that. At the same time, you know, I'm a disciple of Christ. It doesn't matter what my occupation is. There, you can't divide those two yeah, things, yeah, uh-huh. right? And so, yeah. I think that's been an unfortunate, not only in the minister layman, but also in layman layman. So, right. when I'm at work, I compartmentalize my life mm-hmm. at work, yeah. and then I can compartmentalize my spiritual life on yeah. Wednesday, mm-hmm. Sunday. You know, I mean, this compartmentalization yeah, of yeah, our lives absolutely. as disciples, I think, is the same thing. Yeah, and so another uh, another thing that that does is not only does it remove that secular religious divide, but it also removes spiritual pride. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Luther perceived that the monks of his day thought that they were more important to God than the common man. Yeah. And, and to Luther, that's an affront. Are you kidding me? You think you're more important because mm-hmm. you pray all day? Yeah. Um, and so he he basically makes the judgment against uh, monastic vows by saying, look, you're not even able to do any good works because you've removed yourself from your neighbor. So in that sense, your job is less important yeah. than yeah. the baker. Yep, that's right. <clears throat> so that those two works, the freedom of a Christian and against monastic orders, help to frame the issue for us. Um and really, then Luther does something that I think is helpful, is he speaks about the hiddenness of God, uh, how God is hidden in our life. And what he does is he says that uh, the works that we do, God does through us, and so God is hidden in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so think about it like this. Um, you know, whenever you and I as pastors, um, uh, we uh, we baptize somebody— what Luther would say is that it's not just the pastor who's baptizing. 
it is God who is baptizing that individual through the pastor. We don't see God, mm -hmm. but he is the one doing the work. Yeah. Uh, so he says this, uh, he says, God's people please God, even in the least and most trifling matters, for hmm. he will be working on all things through you. He will milk the cow through you and perform the most servile duties through you. And all the greatest and least duties alike will be pleasing to him. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you may, this may be the direction you're going, uh, but uh, but you, you mentioned to me and just in a conversation um, when you were reading, preparing for this, uh, preparing for this class that you just went through, about how how God acts through the ordinary means of mm -hmm. accomplishing His will. So, mm -hmm. so for example, you know, you just brought up the the milking the cow, and you were mm -hmm. talking about how a man prays for his daily bread, right, mm -hmm. and how God accomplishes that answer to that prayer through the ordinary means of a farmer, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, talk, talk, expound that for what, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you remember the conversation. we No, had, absolutely. But. That that's, that's exactly what, what we mean when we talk about the hiddenness of God. Uh, what it means is that God ordains the end and the means by which it happens. So, uh, when I sit down at my dinner table and I pray, uh, Lord, Give me this day my daily bread. Yeah. Who I need to thank for that is I need to thank, first off, my wife who went to the store and purchased that daily bread. I need to thank the people at the Piggly Wiggly that stocked the shelves. I need to thank the, uh, the operators of the Piggly Wiggly for running a store and selling mm -hmm. bread at a good price. I need <laughs> yeah. to thank uh, the truck drivers that delivered that bread from the factory to the store. I need to thank the factory workers that helped to process that. Uh, I need to thank the uh, farmers that planted uh, the grain. I need to thank them who planted the seeds. I need to thank those who harvested it. And it becomes this comprehensive picture of how God has used each of these, uh, these stations to produce an effect. And what Luther also does is he says, when we pray for our daily bread, we also pray against anything that would hinder daily bread. And yeah. he specifically mentions in his larger catechism that we would pray against um, unjust governments mm -hmm. uh, that would impose unjust mm -hmm. labor laws or anything else that would prevent the uh, receiving of daily bread, not just for me, but for yeah. my neighbors as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's a comprehensive system here that Luther has uh, that I think gives us a new perspective. Mm -hmm. So now the harvester, his job is just to pick grain. Mm -hmm. He thinks to himself, am I doing any good? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. instead of thinking, I'm just picking grain, mm -hmm. instead he should be thinking, I am, the Lord is using me to provide daily bread. Yeah, to feed the world. To feed the world, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and that 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 sounds glorious and romantic, but it's also true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's good. Uh, another thing that's crucial about vocation is that Luther sees vocation more than just the job that you're doing, mm -hmm. but he sees it as the station and the office that you occupy. Yeah. So vocation is not just um, farmer, but vocation is also husband, wife, mm. son, mm. daughter. In fact, he mentions that one of the glor most glorious things to God is when a father changes a baby's diaper, hmm. you know, because he is mm -hmm. operating as father, right? He's yeah. doing his yeah. job. 
um, and he's doing it to the glory of God. In fact, yeah. Luther would definitely say that the, that the Lord is changing that diaper through the Father. <laughs> he is hidden in God, or God is hidden in him. Um, so with that mindset, vocation is the way that God brings forth his kingdom in yeah. our world. Yeah. You know, I think I think for us as ministers, just to get to some practical application of this, is uh, as we stand in the pulpit, we ought to elevate the occupations of those that are in our congregations yeah. and help mm-hmm. them to understand and see that the work that they are doing is not just crunching numbers at the bank, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. it's a larger, it's a bigger opportunity than that. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things that we haven't done very well that maybe moving forward, we ought to think about how can we make the, how can we make the elementary school teacher feel and recognize that God is using them in a bigger way for his kingdom then they might they might not even that they might not even be yeah. aware of. So, and that's, that's where um, the, the idea of vocation is that our work does not bend inward, but our work, yeah. everything from parent to child to uh, occupation job, our work mm-hmm. bends outward. It's not yeah. about self interest; it's about self service. Yeah, yeah. And so, when whatever we're doing, we're seeking to serve others. Hmm. because God calls us to do that. Yeah. Not for salvation, right? We're free. Right, right. We're free of all. Uh, right. We don't have to serve. I don't have to serve you, John, in order to get into heaven. I'm free right. of you. Mm-hmm. And yet, because Christ has served me, my desire is to serve you. Right. Yeah. That's good. All right. So that's Luther's doctrine of vocation, or at least a <laughs> nugget of it. Um, so let's move on to what are you reading, John? All right, so I have uh, a few different ones here, okay? Um, as soon as I can find my list is right here. So uh, real-life discipleship that uh, will be mentioned on our next podcast. Uh, I'm also reading it by Jim Putman. Uh, so uh, that's I have, I've just gotten through the introduction as far as I've gotten, but uh, looking forward to reading it. I'm also reading a book that was recommended to me by Gary Pimenter called While in Crete. It is a biblical agenda for interim pastors. So, uh, yeah, since I've come to the Baptist building, I'm doing some interim pastor work. And so Tony Wolf, uh, who I believe serves with the Southern Baptist Convention of Texas, uh, he wrote this book about being an interim pastor that I'm, uh, I'm currently reading. Cool. And uh, I'm reading Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo, I guess is how you say her last name. So, okay. Shadow and Bone is a uh, Netflix original series. It's mm-hmm. based off a trilogy of books, fiction books, that um, uh, the books are obviously better than the the uh, Netflix series, partly because the Netflix series uh, is very, you know, woke. Can I use that oh word? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah. John, I'm looking and the books are not are not that way, but but it's a uh, it it is a very interesting interesting story here, the shadow and the bone. So yeah, that's where I am. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, I just finished yesterday, Rediscover Church, by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a, a very solid book about what is church, especially during uh, the current events that we find ourselves in. I thought that was was helpful. So we're gonna actually hand that out to some deacons and see if we can't read that. It'll be yeah. fun. It is that time of year again. I'm beginning out of a silent planet, out of the silent yeah, planet. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, always enjoyable for me, about 30 pages in. So hopefully I'll finish that one soon. And then um, I'm reading this book by a guy named Carl F.H. Henry. 
Mm, I can't it's, imagine. Uh, called Jesus the identity, of the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. You kind of look um, like Carl Henry. You think so? That'd be cool. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not as big. Also, he's always clean shaven. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. I do like yeah. his glasses though. I'd wear those. Yeah, you need um, some of those. Man, good guy. Um, so that's uh, um, Carl Henry looking at the Chalcedonian Chalcedon Creed. Chalcedonian Creed. Oof. Ooh, man, whatever you say. Yep. All right. Well. Yep, yep, two in a row. Good job. Add? Nope, nope, that's all I got. We're right. 25 we minutes in. Perfect timing. Appreciate our listeners for uh, joining us. We will uh, see you next time. Until then, keep loving your imperfect church. And remember, one day she will be perfected in glory.